Let's go ahead and turn to Ephesians chapter 6. We are in verse 1 this evening. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 1. We're going to study the first nine verses. So let's read verse 1 down through verse 9, and then we'll pray. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment, with promise, that it may be well with you, and that you may live long on the earth. And you children, do not provoke your parents to wrath. Just joking. And you fathers, (laughs) do not provoke you children to wrath. But bring them up in training and admonition of the Lord. Verse 5, bond servants, be obedient to those who are your masters according to the flesh, with fear and trembling in sincerity of heart as to Christ. Not with eye service as men pleasers, but as bond servants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart. With good will, doing service as to the Lord and not to men, knowing that whatever good anyone does, he will receive the same from the Lord whether he's a slave or free. And you masters do the same to them, giving up threatening, knowing that your own master also is in heaven and there is no partiality with him. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the gift of family, the gift of parents and children, also the gift of work, to be able to work with our hands unto you. So we ask that you would come and that you would bless. Lord, every family that's represented in the room, that you would pour out your grace, every parent-child relationship, Lord, every work relationship. So would you come and pour out your spirit? Lead us and guide us into your truth. In Jesus' name, amen. George Burns said this, happiness is having a large, loving, close-knit family in another city. (laughs) Jerry Seinfeld said, nothing is fun for the whole family. There are no massage parlors with ice cream and free jewelry. Now, I just busted up when I thought about that. There's really nothing that's for the whole entire family, isn't there? Like, if your wife goes to get a massage, they don't sell guns where they have massages, right? There's, there's not ice cream where your wife goes to get a massage. But that's how fun is advertised. It's fun for the whole family. I think Seinfeld had that right. Cary Grant said, Insanity runs in my family. It particularly gallops. So... Bob Hope says, I grew up with six brothers. That's how I learned to dance while waiting for the bathroom for the restroom. (laughs) So tonight we're going to talk about three sacred relationships. First, the relationship with children, then the relationship with parents, and then the relationship with work. You might be saying, that's an interesting title. I don't know that I would describe those relationships as sacred, but I believe that unto God they're extremely sacred. They're extremely valuable to the Lord. As we've been traveling through the book of Ephesians, there is a firm foundation for us. First, it's the grace of God, that we're seated with Christ in the heavens, the first three chapters. If you're new to this study, I would encourage you to go back and read the first three chapters of this book, because if we don't understand the grace of God, it's going to be very difficult for that to then translate into the home life. There's a lot of teaching about the home that's absent from the presence of God absent from the grace of God. It's the grace of God that builds that atmosphere and environment into our homes. Also, we saw in chapter 4, verse 1, that we're to walk worthy of the calling which we are called. So God is showing us what the Christian life looks like in all of these different areas. 
Last week we studied what? Shout it out. Anybody know? Last week? Marriage. All right, you got it. So hopefully from last week, there's been some things that we've been challenged on in the area of marriage, that we're growing in marriage. So now that flows very naturally into relationship with children and parents and also to work as well. So let's begin in verse 1. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. So this encouragement that we have, that children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. So first, when we look at obedience and this topic of obedience, that we have to understand that this is inside of God's authority. So, so he says to children, I want you to obey your parents in the Lord. It's important for kids to understand and to be taught that they are to learn to obey their parents, and in obeying their parents, they're actually obeying God. It's foundational in a kid's life. How do we know this? The first place that they're going to learn to accept or reject authority is with their parents. So if you have kids, if you have grandkids, one of the important things that they need to learn is to obey their parents. Now, does this come naturally? Have you found this in the life of a child in those toddler years, two, three, four, and up? Does does obedience just happen naturally? No, it doesn't. It reminds me of the toddler who was in the car with his mom and somehow had found his way out of his car seat and was was standing up. Mom says, you better sit down or you're going to get hurt. He continues to stand up. You better sit down or are you going to get hurt? So finally, she grabs him and kind of forces him down in the seat. And he says, you know what, Mom? I may be sitting down on the outside, but I'm standing up on the inside, right? And we reach that. Dr. Dobson, as he was describing these toddler years, is he says that kids put on the war paint. That they, they come out and they say, look, I'm my own boss. I'm the authority. You try to make me. And then it's our job as a parent to teach them, to try to teach them to be obedient to to their parents because it's laying that foundation in their lives so that when they experience authority later on, that they come to, to understand and realize and rest in this and saying, I learned how to be obedient to my parent so I can be obedient to a police officer. I can be obedient uh, to a teacher. I can be obedient to a boss. We often all thought as we were growing up in our home to think that once I get out of the house, authority is going to be in the rearview mirror. I'm never going to have to listen to anybody again. And we come to find out there's authority everywhere we go in our lives. I'd like to describe it this way, that obedience is this, to be under the umbrella of protection. So when children choose to obey their parents, picture an umbrella and a storm that's coming. Lots of rain that's pouring down, a thunderstorm. And they're in that place of protection and that place of blessing. And we walk in disobedience to our parents, then we're outside of that umbrella of protection and that umbrella that God would bring. And the ultimate is this is God's protection. So that's what we want to communicate to children is saying, look, it's not my command. As much as you think that this may have fit me, that I chose to tell you to obey your parents. This is something that God instructed. Just like we saw the order for the family, the order for marriage, this is the the order for the parent-child relationship. Is this something that's being contested today? Absolutely. You know, a lot of cultural parenting has flipped it, where the, the parent needs to be obedient to the child. So I just want you for something fun to do, if you're a parent, 
is just to say, I'm the parent. Ready? One, two, three. Do you realize that? By God's given authority, you are the parent. That three-year-old, that 13-year-old, that 31-year-old is not the parent, all right? You are the parent. So when do you outgrow this needing to be obedient to your parents? If you are 31 years old, I hope that you've come to realize that God has not called you to continue to be obedient to your parents. When you leave your parents' home, you're no longer dependent upon them. This being called to be obedient to them stops at that, that point. If you're married, you leave your father and mother and you cleave to each other. But verse 2 that we're going to see is a timeless command that, that God gives to us. The obedience is while we're in the home. That's what we're to teach our kids, laying that foundation in their life. But then verse 2 is something that we're to do continually. It's timeless. Honor your father and mother, which is the first command with promise. So this goes back to the Ten Commandments that God gives. And he says, honor your father and your mother, which is the first commandment with promise. So the obedience is while you're in the home, but you honor them as long as they're alive. We seem to have lost honor in our culture, haven't we? We don't honor anything. We don't honor things that we should honor. We don't honor life. We're not a culture that honors life. We don't stand for life. We don't honor marriage. It's not something that that we value. But what do we honor? We honor our selfishness. That's the number one American virtue is selfishness. So a lot of people look at their parents is something that they can consume and dispose. Or maybe my parents didn't do that good of a job, or you see the cracks and the faults with your parents. Notice that God is calling us to honor our parents regardless. It doesn't say, honor your father and mother if they were A-plus parents. Honor your father and mother if, if they did a really good job. It's something that God is saying, look, they gave you life. They gave you life. They brought you into this world They made sacrifices for you. They weren't perfect. And honor the position, even if you can't honor the person. Even if there's things about that person that you can't respect, you go, I still realize that they're my parents. And if you think hard enough, there's probably some things that they did do well. There's probably some sacrifices that they did make that really impacted your heart and your life. Family Life, the ministry by Dr. Dennis Rainey, gives some practical ways to honor your parents as an adult. Here are four things. Number one is to spend time with them, to spend time with them. This can happen even if they live a long distance away. Take the time to call them, FaceTime them, Skype with them, go and visit them, make that that sacrifice. But that's a way of showing honor to parents is to spend time with them, sometimes on their agenda, not just on our agenda. Not just on our timetable, but on their timetable. Spend time with them. A handwritten letter goes so far, doesn't it? To take the time to write a letter to mom or dad. Of course, at times like Mother's Day and Father's Day, but maybe on a non-holiday time, just to to write a letter. The words, I love you, are very powerful to, to a parent. As a parent, did you ever get tired of your kids telling you that they love you? You never get tired of that, right? And so pick up the phone, call your parents, say, you know, I love you. It's very powerful. One of the things that family life ministry really, I'm kind of lacking the words tonight. This is rare for me, but they ascribe. That's what they, they, one of the things that they 
recommend, that's the word that I'm looking for, is to write a tribute and present it to your parents as a way of honoring them. So what's a tribute? You sit down, you take time to stop and think, and you actually write out a tribute to their lives, maybe print it out or get it framed, and then present it to mom and dad. You'll never regret doing this. But this is the important thing, is make it practical, make it ongoing, make it continuing in your heart and your life, but say, I'm going to choose to honor my parents. Now, notice what happens if we do this, that it may be well with you, and you may live long on the earth. So, so when God's saying, look, honor your father and mother, he's saying it's connected with a promise. If, if you do this, then God's going to do something. God's faithful to his promise. And what's the promise? That things will go well with you and you'll live long upon the earth. Now, sometimes someone honors their parents and God chooses to take them home to go be with him. Jesus died at age 33 years old. So I don't think necessarily that this is just a chronological, though it may be, but it's speaking of your quality of life. Things are going to go well. You're going to live long upon the earth generally. In a very practical and real sense, if you follow your parents' advice and you honor them in that way, going back to childhood and then into adulthood, seeking out their counsel, it'll save you from a lot of heartaches, won't it? If you're young and you're single, it's wise on your part before you get married to check in with your parents to see what they think. Parents have a lot of wisdom, and they can see foxes and snakes a lot better than you can. And to be able to listen to their advice and go, what do you think if I would, would marry, marry this person? If in a real practical sense, if we will check in with them, allow them to speak in our lives, it's going to result for things to go well. How many testimonies has there been of a college student that, that's headed off to college and their parents say, you know, I don't know if that's a good fit for you. Man, I think you'd be better off over here. Now, do you think parents just say those things kind of flippantly to make your life miserable? No, they know you. They know where you're headed, and they really go, I think this is going to be a better fit for you. And if you listen and you honor that, man, things, things are going to go well with you. But here's the heart of this in verse 3, is don't you want to know what this blessing would be like from God? When I've read this over the years, I thought, you know, I want to be on the side of blessing of this. I want to know what it is to have God's blessing on my life because I've honored my father and my mother. So it doesn't matter where you are in the journey. You, you might be 30 years old, 40 years old. Your parents are living. Reach out to them and honor them. Maybe as you look back, you go, you know what? My attitude towards my parents is so less than honoring. I haven't got to that place where I've really cho chosen to honor and respect them. It's never too late. Maybe you're young, you know, you're a teenager, you're a college student, really sink into this truth tonight. Allow God to plant this in your heart and your mind to say, you know, I'm going to honor my parents because I want that blessing. I believe that this is much more of a heart thing than anything else because you get the heart right where you begin to honor your father and your mother and the actions will follow, the appropriate actions will follow out of that place. <clears throat> Verse 4, now it's directed to us as fathers. And you fathers do not provoke your children to wrath. It's funny, uh, I've got one daughter, she's quite the comedian. They all have good sense of humor. I've got three daughters and one son. And in Awana, they memorize uh, Ephesians 6, 4. 
So sometimes people will ask her, hey, what's your favorite verse? And she'll say, and you fathers do not provoke your children to wrath, but bring them up in the training and admonition of the Lord. And then she just laughs and laughs, you know. It's just so funny, you know. I, I got this, this, this figured out. But, so we laugh about this verse in our home. Notice that it is written to fathers. It is specific. Why do you think it's addressed to dads? Because of what we read last week, that the dad is the head of the home. And because we're the head of the home, then we bear the responsibility for what takes place inside. This is applicable to mothers as well, but it's directed towards fathers. It says, and you fathers don't provoke your children to wrath. What is that all about? What is God communicating in his word? He's giving dads and moms something not to do in relationship to their children. So three relationships tonight. The first is the child toward the parent. Be obedient, be honoring. And now it's the parents towards the children. How is it that we're treating our children? Are we provoking them to wrath? What are some things that we may do that provoke our children to wrath? One is a double standard, duplicity. And that's this. For you, this is the standard. Kiddo, this is what I expect from you, but yet I do it in my own life. That's going to provoke children to wrath. It's going to cause them to be angry. Like I may say, look, you can't watch this movie, but I can. You know, you, you, you pick the action. It doesn't matter what the action is. We say, say, here it is, but this is the standard for you, but it's not the standard for me. And that's not going to work. We've got to live by the standard that we give to our children. Our most powerful thing that we can give to our kids is our example. Another is unrealistic expectations. In the eyes of the child, no matter what they do, they're going to fail. We've got to stop and think, you know, am I really giving unrealistic expectation to my, to my children? You know, my expectation is here, and is that even God's standard? Or is that something that is my own standard? And if a child is always feeling like, no matter what I do, no matter how hard I try, mom and dad never see the accomplishments that I do. They never see how I am working hard. They're always coming down on me that eventually a child's going to be provoked to wrath. Eventually a child's going to be provoked to anger and say, just, just forget this. Another way that we provoke kids to wrath is rules without relationship and reason. Let me say that again. Rules without relationship and reason. Now rules are good. Rules are important. We're going to see that even in a, another moment. But if it's rules without relationship, then that gives way to rebellion, doesn't it? Then that provokes to to wrath. And then those rules also have to have reason. As parents, we should be able to answer the question why to our kids. Not necessarily at young ages when they're toddlers. No's no to a toddler. You can't reason with the toddler. Hopefully you've figured that out, right? That's the part of their life where they're, they're learning obedience. But as they get older and their intellect begins to grow and they're, they're asking an honest question, why? Why don't we watch this? Why don't we do this? Why is this your rule with guys and your rule with girls? Why do we go to church? Oh, we just go to church because that's what we do. No, you sit down and you explain the why to them, the reason behind it. I was given this illustration a long time ago and it's really stuck with me. It's like a bank account. You have to make deposits in order to make withdrawals. And if you don't have more deposits than withdrawals, then you're in trouble. You overdraft. And sometimes with our children, we overdraft. Because all we're ever doing is we're taking deposit or withdrawals out of them 
but we're not making deposits. We're not investing in relationship. We're not giving the reason behind it. So what are some ways that we can invest in relationship with our kids? By spending time with them, doing fun activities with them, complimenting them, playing catch, playing a board game, watching a movie, asking them questions, tucking them in at night. It's relationship. And it looks a little different because it's not necessarily friendship. A lot of times that develops over time and there is a friendship there. But it's parent-child relationship where they're saying, I want to connect with their heart. I want them to know that I care about them. So if that's absent, then oftentimes that can provoke a child to, to wrath. Another thing that provokes children to wrath is inconsistency. So one day, this is the standard in the home. This is what you get in trouble for. And then the next day, that completely changes. And the next day it goes back to the way that it was and then it changes again and you're sitting there as the kid and you're going, man, I don't really know what the rule is around here. This is Jack, Jekyll and Hyde, you know? This is bipolar. This is messed up. Dad's schizophrenic. He doesn't know what he's talking about. Inconsistency. So we want to try to be consistent. And that's tough as a parent, isn't it? Because for a while you're, we're consistent with what the rules are and then we start to get lax. And then all of a sudden we realize, man, I've gotten really lax. I'm not, I'm not consistent. So choosing those rules with time and prayer, because, okay, here I've set this rule in my home. I've got to make sure that I'm going to see that through over the next several days, weeks, and months to come. So inconsistency can bring that place. Neglect as well can cause us to provoke our children's to wrath. So parents, and especially fathers, Let's seek the Lord to see if we're provoking our children to wrath. But here's what we are to do. But bring them up in training and abnimition of the Lord. The word bring them up in the Greek means to nourish. This time of year is when you begin to plant your garden, if you're a gardener. If you put some seeds in the ground. Maybe you've started those seeds in the house. And it's exciting to see these new plants come to life. And they're so green, and the sun's beginning to shine upon them, and there's new growth. And that's God's analogy for a child. Here's the whole concept of parenting. Here's God's vision of parenting. It's to bring them up, to grow them up, to approach them with tenderness, but approach them with a goal that they're going to come to full maturity, and they're going to launch out into adulthood. That's our job as parents. It's not first and foremost to be their friends, but we're to grow them up to the point where they know the Lord, they can rely upon the Lord, and they have the life skills where they don't need us any longer. They're going to launch off into adulthood. It's, it's a growth process of bringing up, and this is how we do it, in training and abnimition of the Lord. Now, the word training, literally in the Greek, it means to discipline. So we're disciplining our children in love for the purpose of teaching them teaching them. So we're going to jump from here to some Proverbs and write these down. Proverbs 3, 12. Proverbs 3, chapter 12. Why don't you turn there in your Bibles to Proverbs chapter 3, verse 12. So Psalms, Proverbs. In the Old Testament, Psalms is the middle of your Bible. And then Proverbs 3, verse 12. Under this topic of training, under this topic of, of discipline, says, for whom the Lord loves, he corrects, just as a father, 
the Son in whom he delights. Can I get an amen? Anybody been corrected by the Lord? That's evidence that you're God's child. That's your evidence that God loves you, that he's your father. And in order to understand parenting and bringing up our children in training and in instruction, we first have to relate to the love of God and how he loves us. And these are done out of love for our children. The reason that we discipline our children is because we love them. The reason that the Father disciplines us is because he loves us. We have to examine culture with a biblical view. Cultural view says if you love somebody, you let them do whatever they want. Is that love? That's not love. If you really love someone and you've been given that position of authority in their life, you will discipline them. You will teach them through discipline so that they don't learn through a much tougher means. That's what the Bible teaches. That you will will be faithful to discipline if you love them. It's out of that heart of love. So let's go further in the Proverbs. 22.15. Proverbs 22, verse 15. Foolishness is bound up in the heart of a child. The rod of correction will drive it far from him. So this is how God describes us when we're born, that we're born with a sinful nature and we're born with foolishness bound inside of us. Now, how does that culturally go against what people say about kids? That kids are born inherently good. Well, the reality of what Scripture says is kids are born inherently sinners that need a Savior. So this is the condition in which we come into the world. Not that kids aren't cute. Not that we don't love our kids, and they they just, man, they win our hearts. But the Bible says foolishness is bound up in the heart of the child. And so then it goes on to tell us that the rod of correction will drive it far from him. And I want to talk much more in practical terms for a few moments. Because I think a lot of times inside of the church, we read Ephesians 6.4, that we're to provide discipline in the life of our child. And then we say, God bless you, have a great night. And we don't go any further to what does the Bible teach about on how to discipline your children. And the scripture is really clear to use the rod. It says the rod of correction will drive it far from him. And then go a little bit further to Proverbs 29, verse 15. And I would encourage you to study this a lot more in Proverbs. If you look up the word correction in Proverbs, you will find so many resources. This is Proverbs 29, Verse 15, it says, The rod and the rebuke give wisdom, but a child left to himself brings shame to his mother. So is the Bible literally talking about a rod? Is the Bible talking about giving children spankings? Absolutely, yes, it is. If you look this up in the Hebrew, it is talking about a rod. It is talking about an instrument for discipline. Now let me tell you a little bit about my childhood. I think on the paddle that my dad made, for my brother and I and my sister to get spanked, it should have said, I need thee every day. (laughs) My life was filled with spankings. It was filled with the board of education upon the seat of learning. (laughs) And I've got to tell you, I don't know what my life would be like, what my worldview would be like, the way that I would see God 
see my wife, see my kids, see the world around me if it wasn't for the spankings that I received. If it wasn't for the courage of my parents to stand up to my selfish will and say, you're going to be held in line and we're going to give you the rod of correction upon the seat of learning. So let's talk about what this is not and let's talk about what it is and let's talk about husbands and wives getting on the same page. This is not a parent getting angry at their child and saying, you stupid kid and hauling off and hitting them. That is not biblical correction. And maybe when you look back on your childhood, you didn't receive loving biblical spankings. And so you go, there's no way that I could ever spank my children. So the first thing is if we're angry and we're upset and we're losing our temper, the last thing that we want to do is spank our kids. Amen? Because the Bible says the wrath of man does not produce the righteousness of God. So it involves some self-control on our end to say, okay, I'm angry. I can't spank my children in wrath. That's not what it is. It's not abuse. We're not talking about abuse. So what is it? What's the biblical way to provide this rod of correction? I do believe that the rod is a wise thing to use, a spoon or a paddle that is made so that you're not spanking your kids with your hand. You know, if you're spanking your kids with your hand, a lot of times it can associate your hand with discipline. I don't want my kids to ever be afraid of my hand. My hand's a little too close. I don't want to lose my temper with, with my hand. So it would be wisdom to pick a part of your house, say the parent's bedroom, and that's going to be the place where the child's going to receive a spanking with the, the rod of correction. Now, what would be a logical place to receive a spanking? Well, right on your buns, because there's some extra padding there. God has created it to be a great place to be able to receive a spanking. I think, so the parent's in self-control. The child's been sent to an area where they're going to receive a spanking. And then it needs to be explained to them why they're receiving a spanking. You know, you disobeyed mom. You disobeyed dad. So because I love you, I've got to give you spanking. God tells me in his word that if I love you, that I would, would discipline you. And then there should be a determined amount of swats like three swats. We're not talking about 15 swats. We're not talking about all these swats. We're talking about three swats. So, so here's three swats on the bottom because you lied, because you disobeyed mom and dad. You were fighting with your brother or your sister. So here's these three swats that, that you've received. And then when you're done, to give the child an opportunity to say they're sorry. I'm sorry that I disobeyed you. I'm sorry that my, I hit my brother or sister. And then you give the child a hug, and there's restoration that recurs. There's reconciliation that happens. The biblical reason for discipline is always what? To capture the heart and restore the relationship. That's why we're engaging our kids in discipline. And remember, the other word that's used for this is training. So through the discipline, we're training. Through the discipline, we're teaching. Through the discipline, we're trying to reach their hearts. Now, sometimes it doesn't always happen with three swats. That would be awesome if it always happened with three swats, right? Sometimes the child's not ready to have their heart get right and be restored to mom and dad. So it might be able to say something like, I can tell that you're not sorry. So you need to go sit in your room and think about this until you can get to a place where you are sorry. You see, see where this is going? And it's one of the tools in your toolbox as your kids are smaller and then as they get older, they do outgrow spankings. 
usually around age 11, 12, you know, you can't be spanking a 15-year-old. It's not going to be effective. Amen? You, you know, you're following with me? So now you've got a 15-year-old. You've got a 16-year-old. You've got to discipline them. If you were to ask a 15 or 16-year-old, saying, you know what, would you like a spanking that's going to hurt for 30 seconds, or would you like to lose your phone for the week? What would they choose? They'd, they would choose this spanking five times over, right? So how are you going to get their attention? You didn't use your phone appropriately, so you've lost your phone for, for a week. You know, you, you're not really speaking to mom in a respectful way, and I know that you love texting on your phone, but until you can learn to talk to your mom in a respectful way, you're not going to be able to, to, to have your phone. And so you grow to other aspects of discipline, but it starts with spanking. All the way through this process of discipline in a child, a father and mother need to be on the same page. It's very, very important. A lot of times, maybe mom will say, man, I'm for spanking. And dad says, no, I'm not. And dad says, I'm, I'm for spanking a thousand times over. And mom's like, well, there's one thing that's not going to happen in this house. You are not spanking my kids, right? And all of a sudden, you've got this going on between mom and dad. You know, mom's saying, I think the kid should lose her phone for a week. And dad's going, well, you know, that seems, seems a little harsh. I don't think we can take away their phone. I don't know how they're going to be able to exist. Do you know that kids have a motto? Do you know what their motto is? It's their mission statement. It's their lifelong mission statement as they're growing up in the home. Divide and conquer mom and dad. That's what they want to do. They want to divide and conquer mom and dad. So it's a whole lot of stinking work to be able to get on the same page, husband and wife, get into God's word and say, how are we going to be able to handle this in the life of our child? But loving discipline is always better than no discipline at all. Loving discipline is always better than no discipline at all. So go through the Proverbs, look at what it says at the rod of correction when the children are younger and they grow up into older years. That's got to grow into other aspects of discipline. It's been interesting to me over the years, I've heard time and time again, men and women saying, you know, I wish that my parents would have disciplined me. Because innately, we know when we're not held accountable and we're not disciplined and we're able to run wild and do whatever we want, that communicates that we're not loved. And you'd almost think the opposite. You'd think that teenagers would deep down just want to be able to do whatever they want. And that's what they'll tell you. Mom, Dad, get off my back. Just let me do whatever I want. You know, I love you too much to let you do whatever you want. There's a friend of mine, his daughters are now raised, and any time that I meet a dad who's raised daughters, I always ask him for advice, give me, give me godly counsel. And he was describing a, a moment with one of his daughters that was really intense. His daughter was a junior, senior in high school, and this dad has such an amazing relationship with his adult daughters. It's something I really admire. There's a real closeness. But at this point with this particular daughter, she said that she was going to head out for the evening with, with this guy. And he knew that this guy was no good, that his daughter's safety was in jeopardy for her to go out this evening with this guy. And he said, look, you're not going out with this guy. And she says, yeah, I'm going out with this guy. He says, no, you're not going out with this guy. And she starts to head down the stairs and out the door. And he tackled her as a 17, 18-year-old girl and held her down with tears running down his face and said, you are not going out with this guy. 
And years later, for him to tell that story, he was weeping. He's saying, that was the hardest night of my life. I had to physically hold down my 17-year-old daughter and tell her, I love you. You are not leaving this house to go out with this guy. This guy is no good. I will not allow it. You know what that is? That is love. And that's discipline. And that is hard. It is really hard. And I got to tell you, it is hard to give discipline. It's the hardest thing I've ever done. Nobody wants to do it, but it is love. You ever have those moments as a parent where you've read the parenting books, good parenting books, and they've given you a lot of tools, but you're so overwhelmed because you're like, what we got going on right now, I can't find it in any parenting book. <laughs> like, the, I know that people have gone through this before, but right now with what I'm experiencing and what my kids are experiencing and my spouse is experiencing, I can't find this in a, in a parenting book. And it drives us to the Lord. It drives us to the Holy Spirit. You remember the beginning part of this section was to be filled with the Holy Spirit. The only way we can love husbands and wives in a godly way is through the Holy Spirit. The only way that we can parent in a godly way is through the power of the Holy Spirit. So training, it's discipline. It's discipline for the purpose of forming their character and regaining that relationship. But then it's abnomission of the Lord. So what does abnomission mean? Abnomission means instruction. So here we are providing the appropriate discipline, the appropriate training, but then fathers, we're also providing the instruction, we're teaching. 2 Timothy 3, verse 16 and 17 says, All scripture is given by the inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. What's the goal? The kids are brought up. They're nourished. They're grown up. They're matured. How are they going to mature? Through the word of God. God's word is what they need. Notice what God's word does. It supplies doctrine, which is what we believe about God. It applies reproof and correction. It also provides instruction so that we're thoroughly equipped. It's so frustrating to not be equipped for a task. It's my MO for doing projects around the house. A lot of times I do projects around the home based off of emotion. I go, it'd be really nice to have this done or have this fixed. So I go off to Home Depot with ambition and emotion, and I grab what I think I need for the project. And then I get home and I realize that I am completely not equipped. I don't have the right stuff. I don't have the right information. And then I end up going back to Home Depot two or three times. Anybody been there? Right? It's different of really being equipped. So as dads, as moms, we're thinking, how do I give my kids the tools that they're going to need to love the Lord and do life? It's training in the Lord. That's our highest priority. Not that the other kinds of, of training aren't important, but it's that training in the Lord. The word abnomition means to put in, to put in, to put in. So we're looking for every opportunity to put in instruction into our children. Now let's stop and look at this in context a little bit. Ephesians 6, this is directed to fathers. It's applicable to mothers. Do you know that first and foremost, we as parents are responsible for teaching our kids about the Lord, not the church? The church is secondary. The church supplements what we give to 
our children. But think about all of the time that we have with our children and then the amount of time that they have here at church. Now, maybe you come Wednesdays in the weekends. Your kids are maybe here two and a half hours a week. That's awesome. Praise God. We're so blessed that they're here two and a half hours a week. We want to tell them about Jesus. Do you know how many hours they're in our home? 24 hours times seven. You know, you do the math. We have much more time with our kids than anyone else, and it's our responsibility. It's not anybody else's responsibility to discipline my kids. It's not anybody else's responsibility to teach my kids about the Lord. And the same is true for you. Psalm 78 says, And we will not hide from our children, telling to generation to come the praise of the Lord and his strength and his wonderful works that he's done. For he's established a testimony in Jacob and appointed a law in Israel that they should make them known to their children, that the generation to come might know them, the children who would be born, that they may arise and declare them to their children, that they may set their hope in God and not forget the works of God, but keep his commands. We want to take the mighty works of God and make them known to our kids of who God is and what he's done. And when we're teaching to our children about the Lord, it's not just a bunch of standards of how they're supposed to live their lives, but it's who God is. God loves you. He died for you. He's got a plan for your life. Introducing them to Jesus Christ. And because he loves you, then we accept the rules that he does have in place for our lives. Isn't this a radical thought? Like you share the Lord with your kids. God tarries, gives more time to everybody. Your kids go on to have their own children and they're sitting down and sharing the biblical truth that you pass from your kids to then your grandkids. Maybe you've never thought like this before, but you should be praying for your grandkids even if they don't exist yet. Pray for your great-grandchildren if they don't exist yet. There's a lot of great testimonies throughout church history of a man or woman that's been convicted by God that says, I'm going to pray for four generations in my family. I'm going I'm to begin to pray for them that they would know the Lord, that there would be that godly legacy. So we're going to end tonight with Deuteronomy chapter 6 because this is really the how of being able to plant God's word into the life of our kids. I'm not going to make it to work. Praise the Lord. Next week, we'll, we'll look at the relationship of work. Deuteronomy chapter 6. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy 6. Gives us the how to put God's word into our kids' lives. Deuteronomy 6, verse 4. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, and with all of your strength. This is where it begins. And this is where the challenge goes out to us as parents. Got to start with me. I've got to love God with all my heart, all my mind, all my soul, all my strength today. Not five years ago, not five months ago, but today am I loving the Lord with everything that I have. And then these words which I command you today shall be in your heart. So I'm loving the Lord and I'm taking the time to be into God's word to where God's word is in my heart. And then as it's in my heart, notice it says, you shall teach them diligently to your children. So it's intentful. It's like, I want, if I'm going to be diligent about one thing in my kids' life, I want to teach them the word of God, 
but it's the word of God that's in my heart. It's the word of God that's impacted me. It's the word of God that means something to me, that, that, that's changed me. And then here's the means to be able to do it. And you shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, and when you rise up. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be frontlets between your eyes, and you shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. So let's focus in on verse 7. So you're talking of the word of God when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, and when you rise up. So this means we're in our children's lives, and we get up in the morning, we go to bed at night, when we sit down at the dinner table, when we drive in the minivan, when we're doing life together, we take the opportunities and make the opportunities to speak the word of God that's alive in our hearts and lives. So first and foremost, this means we have to look at, am I in my kid's life? If I were to look at my daily schedule, am I rising with them? Am I home when they go to bed? Do we have a meal together? Am I driving them from place to place? And let's be honest, that's a real challenge in our culture, isn't it? To have any time with our kids at all. So it might mean that we have to change some of our priorities to line up that we have time in their life. To go, okay, I'm going to really make an effort to be present in their life. So now I've got the time, and they're rising up. Here comes an opportunity. Hey, I read this in my Bible today, and this was incredible, and we share it with them. It's something that's relevant to me, that God has put in my heart or in my life. Or you see something that, that's happened, and you're going, you know, that's a great example of being able to teach our kids. Hancock Fabrics going out of business across the street. We were bummed as a family. My wife loves to sew. We go over there as a family. I don't love to sew, but I love to spend time with her. And she let me know today they're going bankrupt for the second time, so they're closing their doors. So guess what we talked about at the dinner table today? We talked about finances because Hancock Fabric is going out of business. And it gave a platform to talk about what God's word has to say about finances. Just using things that are coming up in our lives of what God's word has to say. Maybe your children are struggling in a particular area. Instruct them, hey, this is what God's word has to say about this, and this is where the Holy Spirit really starts to come and give wisdom to be able to speak God's word into our children's lives. It doesn't have to be complicated. It doesn't have to be complicated. A lot of times, things that get really complicated in the family, they're not sustainable, are they? We can't finish them. We can't see them through. Can you be in God's word? Can I be in God's word? Can we put it in our hearts? And can we speak what's in our hearts? Man, God showed me this today. Oh, look at the sunrise. It's beautiful. Look at what God has made. Isn't God, God powerful? And begin to share those things and to speak those things into your kids' lives. Your kids may be grown up. You're long past that discipline stage that we, we talked about. You know, it's not too late to speak God's word into their life. If you've got grandkids, be involved in their life. You're not responsible for the discipline. Isn't that awesome? So you can come alongside and you can spoil and you can love, but for the purpose of sharing with them who Christ is, sharing with them of, of God's goodness in their hearts and their lives. This is one thing I know is no one does this perfectly. No one does this perfectly. I am very much in process and growing in the midst of all of this. God is challenging me in the midst 
of what I'm speaking. I'm sure after sharing this tonight, I'm going to have opportunities to try to apply it in my, in my own home. We all fall short, but God wants us to grow. He wants us to walk worthy of his calling and to be able to say, okay, first, I'm going to own my position as a child. I'm not in my parents' home anymore, but I'm going to honor them. Am I honoring my parents? God, I want to honor my parents. If you are still in the home, I'd encourage you, man, obey your parents. If you're still in high school and still living at home. And then for us as parents to really pray through Ephesians 6, 4 and say, I don't want to provoke my children to wrath, but I want to bring them up in the training and instruction, in discipline and pouring God's word into their hearts and lives. And let's pray for one or another and ask that God would be extremely gracious to us in this area of family. Would you stand with me and let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the wisdom that you provide for us. And God, we ask that you would soften our hearts, that you would give us a willingness to obey your word, to honor our parents. We thank you for the sacrifices that they've made for us. And for those of us that are parents, God, that you would encourage us to really raise our kids in love and tenderness and appropriate level of, of discipline and instruction. Would you give us those opportunities to pour your word into their lives? May we get to a place tonight where we're loving you with everything that we have, where we're hiding your word in our hearts and our lives. Would you be gracious to our homes? And we love you and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.